right, well, good evening and welcome to another episode of Take the Two. Now, it was a big week in the for the first week of NRL finals. Certainly, plenty of exciting action in the in that opening week, Tom. Yeah, it definitely was probably the best weekend of footy we've had uh, this season so far, and looking forward to a really uh, great weekend coming up. Two really exciting games as well as some great uh, NRLW action as well to look forward to. Yeah, it's exactly right. Well, obviously, we know that Penrith and Melbourne are through to week three, so they're not playing this week, obviously, after their wins over the Roosters and the Eels, respectively. But we'll get right into it with the clash on Friday night, Tom. Now, Sydney Roosters and the Canberra Raiders. I mean, obviously, we know Canberra knocked out Cronulla last week in their opening finals win. I guess probably a little bit closer, I guess, than many were probably expecting, obviously, with, you know, Many would have thought that the Sharks without Sean Johnson probably, I guess, weren't going to be terrible, but were, you know, not going to be able to match it with Canberra. But it seemed like at times Canberra sort of struggled to deal with that that Sharks momentum. Yeah, they did. And I think that's going to be a key to this week's game. We saw in that Penrith Roosters game last weekend that the Roosters for periods of that game just, as you said, really just took the momentum and ran with it and, Obviously, they weren't able to hold on to it for long stretches, and Penrith ultimately got them by a point in the end. But we all know what a potent attacking side the Roosters are. And I think this game will be uh, one lost in defence. The Roosters, they finished the season with the best attack, over 100 more points scored than Canberra. But the Raiders finished the year with a better defensive record uh, out of the two sides. So, you know, both sides put up a, a number of points last weekend, but conceded plenty too. Yeah, it definitely looms as an interesting one, obviously. You know, the Roosters, they did lose last week by the one point with the field goal. And I guess down 28-10, probably there were quite a few people sort of thinking, you know, could this be the, the Roosters, I guess, done and dusted, particularly after that heavy loss to the Rabbitohs. But, you know, we saw that. We saw the reason why the Roosters have won back, back-to-back premierships, just because, I guess, no matter the scoreline, no matter how much momentum may be against them, their big guns find a way to perform. And we saw that for that almost almost comeback against Penrith. Yeah, absolutely. They came so close and just wasn't to be in the end. But Jake Friend this week, back in the squad, he's a huge addition. With the exception of that uh, Freddie Vosick scoop from dummy half, there's probably no try that the Roosters scored last week that they wouldn't have scored if Friend was at dummy half. But there's probably a few tries in there that they wouldn't have conceded uh, if Friend was playing there in the middle. And uh, as great as uh, Tupanua has been for them in the second row as well, I'm pretty keen to see uh, Angus Crichton back in the starting squad for the Roosters. I think he's just such an exciting second row to watch, you know, up there with the best in the game. And his experience on the big stages will probably do them a world of good. Yeah, look, well, I mean, we certainly have, I mean, across the park, there's a tremendous battle. But I guess probably probably the battle for me that I think I'm looking forward to is uh, probably, oh, I guess in the forwards, obviously, you know, Warrior Hargreaves and Josh Papali probably, you know, Easily top five props in the game at the moment. And then you only have to go to the back row with Boyd Cordner and Angus Crichton up against the English duo in English duo in John Bateman and Elliot Whitehead. And I mean, all four of those guys, top all six of those guys really, you know, when when they're performing, it's it just does wonders for their size moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the platform they weigh for their squads is so important for probably the matchup I'm really looking forward to, which is Jack Whiten versus uh, Luke Keary. The two five eights going at it, the two past Clive Churchill medalists. Obviously, we saw what Whiten did last weekend against the Sharks, where we just took the game away from them, you know, in the blink of an eye with that uh, moment of brilliance with the quick tap. You know, obviously, there were some questions at the time about 
uh, its legality. But uh, and as well that uh, the second try he, he nabbed there in the second half, and you know for the Roosters, Luke Keary, we all know what he can do on those nice short side raids that we've seen throughout the year, and you know his it, his ability to just catch the defenders napping is second to none. Yeah, but look, we're certainly in for a very interesting contest on Friday night. Obviously, the winner of this clash will go on to play the Storm, so that looms as you know an, another blockbuster. Obviously, both sides have their own respective his- rivalries with the Storm over the last few years, but it certainly looms as a very interesting clash. And as does the second game. Obviously, on Saturday night we have the Eels up against the Bunnies. Now, obviously, you know Eels fans will be hoping it's not a repeat of the 38-0 loss earlier in the season, but when you look at the Eels' side, Tom, obviously they did lose the Storm, I guess, you know, as much like the Roosters, we know it doesn't take the Storm much to just pile on a few points. But I guess it's worth knowing the Eels did go up 10-0. They looked pretty good. They had the momentum, had the roll on, and I guess it didn't help when Mike Acevo went down. Blake Ferguson also wasn't 100%, but he's named this week. And I guess when the Eels just had to, I guess, tinker with that side, maybe a little bit more than they wanted to, it just allowed the Storm to run over the top of them in the end. Yeah, absolutely. They got a little bit unfortunate with those injuries. But as you said, you know, we were speaking before the show and we were talking about how the Eels have all the ability there. We, we saw in that, you know, 10, 15, 20 minute display they put on at the start of the game last weekend. But they've just got to keep it up for 80 minutes and when it matters, which is right now. You know, we saw it last weekend and then the weekend before against the Tigers in round 20 that, you know, the Eels just napped for, you know, just a 10 minute period and just cost them. And, you know, up against a team like South, it's going to be the same focus yet again for Brad Arthur's side. They've just got to keep consistent throughout the 80 minutes because we saw what South did to Newcastle there to really just take the game away from them. It's probably going to be played in a very different style to the first game of the weekend where I think defence will be the biggest focus. I think that you know while it will still be the deciding factor, I see this one as a real attacking shootout. We've got two potent attacks led by relatively experienced and dynamic halves. I think it's, yeah, it's going to be a ripper. For the Eels, I'm really looking forward to watching Clint Gotherson I think, you know, with questions over both wingers, Sevo not named, Ferguson in a bit of doubt, I think he'll be required to do a lot of work from the back. And we all know his ability just to flip a switch when he wants to, and he can just become an absolute game changer. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a reason why I guess Eels fans call him King Gutho and why he's, I mean, I, I'm not sure if he's still number one at the moment, but I know at one point he was number one in the, uh, for the season in just in, in, meters, in meters made and in kick return meters as well, obviously. You know, the guy runs for... 150, 200 plus metres every game at least. So we know the impact that he does. I mean, I guess for me as an Eels fan, probably the most interesting thing is actually looking at the bench now. We've got Will Smith, who is uh, a backline and hooker utility. We've got Andrew Davey, obviously back row. Kane Evans as a prop. Then we have Ray Stone as well, who is the, the hooker back row lock utility. So I guess I'm wondering if it's almost like a smokescreen in a way if for, you know, if Ferguson doesn't play, then it means one of them, someone drops out and it'll be Takarangi probably comes in or, I don't know, it, it, it's an interesting bench or it means, Tom, that Brad Arthur's probably expecting Campbell Gillard and Junior Paulo to be pushing up towards that 60, 65 minute mark in the in the pack. Yeah, and it's obviously really handy for Brad Arthur to have two front rowers who really have that large motor and the ability to play big minutes. I think that's probably been one of the biggest improvements we've seen from Junior Polo this year is just uh, his ability to maintain his work rate over a long stretch of time and not just play those short 30 to 40 minute stints and instead really pump out a, you know, as you said, a 50 or 60 minute um, role there throughout the match. And I think you're right in the fact that 
Uh, it could be a little bit of smoke and mirrors here from Brad Arthur, and he doesn't want to give much away earlier in the week. But I think uh, a really interesting point from last week's game, as you were mentioning, was actually uh, in terms of the run meters. Sean Wayne led the side last weekend, and I thought that was probably one of his best performances over the last uh, few weeks. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess I've touched on in the last, or the last couple months or so that I guess probably Sean Lane maybe hasn't, you know, I guess been performing as well as he was at the start of the year and even last year as well when, you know, that combination when Dylan Brown was was pretty much just electric. And, you know, I we were sort of wondering whether or not the decision to, to start Andrew Davey for those last couple of weeks of the regular season was maybe indicative of a move for Lane into, I guess, into the, the, the lock position, which is essentially a, a third prop nowadays. But, no, look, he was there. You know, he certainly deserved to to lead the the run meters and and was a much better presence in the game. And look, you know, as I said we know what he can do. We know equally what Ryan Madison can do. So it's just about the eels, just about forming those combinations for the eels, and I guess building on them that early momentum they had against the Storm and and sustaining it. Yeah, definitely. And I think you mentioned it there, but Dylan Brown was such a great addition to the side last weekend. I thought that. He really added a lot of attacking threat on the left, which opened up Mitch Moses on the right. You know, not as much defensive attention going his way, so he could really form that combination with Ryan Madison and the guys outside of him, uh, which really benefited the squad. And I think, again, in this game, it's a great battle of the sixes between Dylan Brown and Cody Walker. Uh, Cody Walker probably in that 10 or 15-minute stretch last weekend just took the game away from the Knights and then put it beyond doubt. You know, at his best, he's right up there with probably Luke Keery and Cam Munster for the best five-eighths in the game. Wouldn't be too surprised to maybe see him in the 14 role for New South Wales at the end of the year. But at you know at their best, I think Souths can outgun Parramatta in attack, but their inconsistency just makes it so hard to tip them. And you know over the stretch this year and last year, the Eels have stood up in the big games and put up a pretty good fight last weekend against Melbourne. And then they've got awesome Sebo, so it's a real 50-50 this one. And I'm, yeah, not real sure which way it'll go. Yeah, look, I'm actually interested to see how obviously. Uh, you know, I've, I've spoken about it here, and Eels fans are certainly vocal about it. Obviously, you know, we know what Sevo can do in attack, but I guess a big criticism of his, and I guess you've probably seen it as well, Tom, is I guess typically when when you have a winger that is as big as Sevo is and as destructive, sort of the idea is that you want him to just cut the ball up, obviously. You know, when, when your backs are against the wall, you want to have a winger or wingers that are able to just ruck it out, help out the forwards, and... I guess the criticism of Sevo is that he doesn't do it enough or when he does do it, he's sort of, I guess, not running as as full on as we're used to. Like Eels fans, we look at a guy like Brian Toll at Penrith where obviously every run that he makes, he runs it as if it's, as if it's the last run he's ever going to make. Whereas you compare it to Sevo and you see him almost, not jogging, but probably not running full pace. And I wonder if, you know, that, that dynamic will change with George Jennings, who certainly isn't afraid to do that and did that quite effectively during his lonesome at the Warriors. Yeah, and, you know, coming from a Tigers perspective, I've seen firsthand this year the the impact that a really uh, great winger can have to get your sets going in David Nofaluma. And, you know, while we, his try-scoring antics probably got a lot of the headlines, you know, he, he, he really got us in the positions to score the points that we did this season by... Uh, getting back and helping out the forwards in those um, early tackles of the set. And I think you're 100% right. I thought that George Jennings, you know, showed a lot of promise at his time at the Warriors. And, you know, what a great opportunity now. What a great reward for a guy that's uh, gone away to the Warriors, helped them out this season. And, you know, now he gets his shot in the in the big games. And, you know, also what a great advertisement for the loan system that we we spoke so much about at the start of the year. 
yeah, well, exactly right. Obviously, it's it's you know done wonders to get Jennings, I guess, general match fitness up. And look, we're certainly in for quite an interesting one here. Obviously, you know, both sides can, have shown that they are have been inconsistent in in 2020, which makes it, as you said, Tom, all the harder to pick. But you know, obviously, the winner of this one goes on to play Penrith, so be an interesting game to watch, nevertheless. And there's also interesting games in the NRLW to watch, and obviously. These two games are going to be played as a double header at Bankwest prior to the Eels game. I mean, the timings are a little bit strange, like it was last week with big gaps in between the games. But we don't we don't control the scheduling, so we can't do much about that. But the Warriors and the Roosters is the first one, Tom. I mean, I guess the Warriors probably they started pretty well against the Broncos. I mean, obviously you know they scored the first couple of tries, and you know in the end I guess the Broncos side that you know I mean we'll touch on them when uh, very shortly when we talk about their clash with the Dragons, but. Obviously, I guess the Warriors just couldn't match that that late firepower that the Broncos had, and were probably their defense was a little bit susceptible, particularly close to the line. Obviously, you know, Tamika Tamika Upton scored four tries, and I guess for the Warriors, Thomas, not really going to get any easier when we see how well Charlotte Kaslik played in her in her first professional rugby league game. Yeah, it was a little bit of a shock to see the Roosters get up last week against the Dragons, but uh, we said it on the on the show last week that there's such a wild card in the competition. We were wondering whether all the Sevens girls would gel straight away, and we got our answer pretty quickly from both of these sides. I thought Charlotte Caswick was probably the best performer of the weekend in the halves, along with uh, perhaps Ali Brigginshaw for Brisbane, and then both Elia Green and Vania Polite got over for the Warriors. So it'd be interesting to see how it all pans out, especially with uh, Charlotte Caswick going into that number one jersey with Betty Welsh out for the Roosters. Uh, we know all the Sevens girls have so much skill, and ball-playing ability which just gives them so much versatility, and that's uh, so valuable in this competition. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how that move for Kaslik doing. Obviously, playing a fullback goes. I mean, I guess when you when you think about it and you know look at what her greatest assets are, it is the run game. So it's you know presumably it'll be the five eighth role that will suit her better. But obviously, you know the fullback role is I guess one that requires maybe a bit you know a bit more running and a bit more I guess involvement if if, if that's the right word to use. But certainly in attack, I mean, and having her at you know, like, likely to be second receiver is only going to keep the Warriors' defence guessing for most of the game, Tom. Yeah, definitely. I think that on attack, it'll definitely improve their game, just give her a little bit of extra space out the back, a bit of extra room to run. And, you know, I don't think there's any dramas in attack position-wise with how the sevens game is played. You know, you've pretty much got to be able to cover any position on the field uh, at any time. And I'll be interested to see how it uh, pans out in defence, though. Obviously, there's little nuances to the position that, you know, she'll need to really nail if they want to hold out what is a really potent Warriors side, as we saw uh, on a number of occasions last weekend. And, you know, uh, they'll get Corbin McGregor, the Roosters, back into that 5-8th role, so they won't be lacking in experience there. No, definitely not. I mean, this is certainly quite an interesting clash. And, you know, as you said, it's great to see the, the Rugby Sevens girls come in and, well, pretty much all of them obviously come in. Uh, we have Grace Hamilton's going to come in for the Roosters as well. So I guess it's going to be another one, uh, another play with the Rugby Sevens background that all want to come in and make a good impression. And I guess it's only a good thing for the women's game, Tom, that, you know, we have athletes from a different code are willing to come and try their hand and potentially even, you know, come back for further years, obviously, you know, schedule permitting. Yeah, 100%. And not only, not only is it great for the promotion of the game and getting more fans involved, it's also great for a number of the young uh, NRLW players coming through to have, you know, teammates with so much experience on on big stages, you know, it doesn't get much uh, bigger than than a uh, Olympic gold medal match. So I'm sure that'll do them a world of good too. 
Yeah, certainly will, obviously. That's just the first NRLW clash on the day, obviously. Second one is the Dragons and the Broncos. And, I mean, I guess this one, Tom, you know, as we touch on, the Broncos probably started slower than, I guess, we're used to, used to seeing them based on the last two NRLW seasons. But they certainly came out after that first, what, 10 to 15 minutes and I guess just blew the Warriors away. Obviously, you know, as I said, Tamika Upton scored four tries and, I thought a real wild card for the Broncos. She didn't see a lot of time, if I recall correctly, in the last NRLW season, but it was Taryn Aiken, who I think was playing in the halves. Oh, no, sorry, she moved to the halves when uh, when Racine McGregor went off with that neck injury. Obviously, she's it must have just been a, been a, a stinger or a burner because she's back this week. But, yeah, Taryn Aiken certainly seemed to have a lot of time and space to just take the line on, and she found Tamika Upton on at least three occasions to score what were, what were pretty easy tries in the end. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the success of this Brisbane outfit really comes down to the form of probably, you know, three or four players. I think, as you said, Taryn Aitken there in that rock role as well. We all know what Ali Brigginshaw can do in the halves. She was exceptional last weekend. Tamika Upton, four tries, doesn't get much better than that. I think that's only the second hat-trick in NRLW history, if memory serves me right. The first might have come in that first grand final uh, in 2018. And then the other one is Millie Boyle. We've all seen what she's done on uh, the origin and uh, international stage, but her matchup with Steph Hancock will be really interesting to watch this weekend. Was with former teammates, they'll go head to head in the in the front row, and you know if, uh, Millie Boyle can really get the upper hand and get her side rolling. That'll allow Upton and uh, Brigginshaw, you know, the space to to move, and that's all they need to uh, really get on the front foot. Yeah, the Dragons were an interesting one in that obviously in week one. So, I mean, I don't think that they were bad as such. They sort of I guess maybe just some, you know, inopportune drops and a couple of, you know, I guess silly errors, mistakes, penalties probably cost them in the end. But, you know, because obviously, you know, Steph Hancock, Elsie Albert, or pretty much the majority of their forward pack were were pretty effective, you know, whether it was in attack or defence. And I thought Sammy Bremner had a tremendous return. Obviously, she missed last year because of the birth of her son. So it's certainly... The first round loss probably isn't indicative of the Dragons' ability, Tom, but obviously it's, it is going to be difficult against a Broncos side that put the Warriors to the sword in the end. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, it's interesting to see. I was having a flick through the NRL team of the week uh, for the last weekend, and four out of the 13 players uh, from the Dragons in a losing squad. You've got Isabel Kelly, Kezi Apps, Def Hancock, Tiana Penetani as well. So they've got plenty of firepower across the pitch, and we saw that last weekend. and. You know, it's only a matter of time before they probably put it all together and uh, get it gelling. And, you know, I, I have no doubt that they'll be probably up there pushing for a grand final spot come the end of the year. Yeah, they've got the talent to do it. I mean, and I guess for people that obviously don't know, I get that, you know, there was a lot of talk surrounding Elsie Albert. She's a, she's a Papua New Guinea international for the, the, the PNG Orchid side. And gee whiz, Tom, I mean, some of her runs through the middle, it... it you know, we often say that in the men's game, it's, you know, men against boys. That one was almost, you know, the like, I don't even know what the comparison is, but but pretty much just the way that she was bending the line and sort of just making at least 15, 15 to 20 metres on most of her runs to start. I mean, that is, that's not something you see very often in the women's game. Yeah, not at all. And I think, you know, her form will go a long way to uh, the side success this year. And I think that, you know, what's so exciting for this competition is that, you know, we've got, you know, four teams that really on their day can all beat each other. And 
Uh, it's going to be such an exciting finish to the year and a great way to um, you know pair up with the, the final series this weekend at Bank West and um, hopefully we can get plenty of eyes on the games. Yeah, well, we look, we certainly have a very uh, you know interesting you know great games to look forward to. Obviously the the two NRL finals games and the two NRLW games. Tom, I guess the you look at the four games. Tom, who are your picks for for all four this week? Yeah, so I'd probably lean towards the Roosters in the first game in a tight one. I don't think that will say blow out by any stretch of the imagination, but I think they can get there and you know get there. Um, you know, probably you know six to twelve points. Probably, oh, I really don't know which way to go on the second game. We'll, so we'll say either side by you know four or less. But I think it's going to be pretty high scoring. And then NRLW yeah. probably went towards the Roosters in the first game, and then uh, we'll go for the upset, the Dragons in the second game. Take take out the Broncos. I think it's a good upset. That, that that would certainly upset the apple cart, that's for sure. I mean, the Broncos love to dominate that competition. But no, as I said, we certainly have four very good games to look forward to. And, you know, from an NRL perspective, it's pretty much going to be season done for two more teams. And, you know, it's never, never something you like to see as a fan of those teams. But I guess they can probably be pretty pleased, Tom, I guess, given this COVID, you know, riddled season. Obviously, we had a, you know, fewer rounds and a lot of uncertainty but I guess teams that make it this far should be you know commended for the way they've been able to adapt in in what is a you know uncharted waters oh 100% it's been a season unlike any other and you know I remember back to May when we were considering whether the NRL would even return and we thought oh if it comes back maybe it's you know a season with an asterisk on the premiership and I think that all those thoughts are out the window now and you know, after such a great season, I think that this one probably means more than any other because of just the adversity teams have had to overcome. You know, we might have a team like Melbourne who haven't played at home since since March and, you know, had to go away, play on the, the Sunshine Coast. And, you know, if they won that, this would go down as one of probably, well, it would go down as one of the most you know, unbelievable victories uh, we've seen in a long time. Yes, yeah, certainly will. And look, it all starts on Friday night. So I guess it remains to be seen what does happen. But you know, there's plenty of action to look forward to. And just like there's action, there's always news in rugby league. And look, I mean, we'll get the ball rolling with, you know, Canberra Raiders. We know that we know what a focal point Jordan Rapina is for their attack. Tom, obviously, I guess maybe since his, since his return from rugby union, probably hasn't been at his best. Obviously we know from what pretty much that 2016, late early 2017 up until about 2019, he was, you know, very close to the best winger in the game sort of, what what does Rapana mean to the Canberra Raiders side in terms of how, how they attack? Yeah, obviously, I don't think he had his greatest game last weekend. I thought he got found out a couple of times in defence, but he just brings so much versatility. We've seen him a couple of times this year filling in different positions. I think we saw him in the centres last weekend, but we all know what he's done for that side on the wing over the years. And we've also seen him in the fullback role this year. So, you know, he provides a lot of versatility, which gives them a lot of options and a lot of depth when it comes to uh, you know, mid-season and, and you know, we've seen this year how valuable that can be, uh, you know, especially in what's been a crazy year. Yeah, look, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's his versatility has probably been on show more more this year than any other year, obviously. You know, Nickel Clockstad, you know, missed a couple of weeks and Rapana filled in. And as you said, I mean, I guess maybe even he, pre- he probably knows himself he didn't have the best game and that's certainly not indicative of how good he can be, but He'll certainly have to be on his game, much like the Raiders will this week. But 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's a guy that, you know, obviously we saw when Joey Leilua was there, we know that, you know, that combination was called Leipana and, you know, combination of their two last names. And, you know, Rapana is just one of those wingers, Tom, like an awful Luma, you know, like, I guess, Mike Asiva when he's on fire and much like any good winger is they're able to just change the momentum of a game with one powerful run. And that's pretty much what that's pretty much what sides need now to help them get that roll on. Yeah, absolutely. We've, if you have a look at the top couple of teams this year, we've got Penrith. They've got great wingers in Mansour and Toto. Melbourne have Vunivalu and Addo Carr, and the Roosters have Tupo and Morrison. Cementing a great wing combination is just such a, a great boost for your side, as we were speaking earlier about with Sevo. just gets your sets off to a great start, and then their finishing ability from some of these wingers is second to none, and Rapana's uh, right up there with the best of them. We saw in that 2016 season what he can do, and, you know, Fingers crossed for Raiders fans, he might be able to form another another combination uh, with another sentiment or winger next year that uh, really catapults them back up to the top yet again. Yeah, certainly Raiders fans will want that to happen. And look, you know, move on. Obviously, we know that Freddie Fittler is starting to name his New South Wales side as teams are eliminated from the finals. Tom, obviously, you know, I think we touched on it very briefly last week as it came through. Tommy Turbo is obviously you know, decided to sit out with his ongoing hamstring and the, the, the shoulder injury that he had that he suffered in in the last round, but you know we I, we touched on it last week too the surprise of Zach Lomax not making the squad at the very least. Freddie Fittler's named him in the squad, and you know you you look at what it means to Zach Lomax. Obviously, if anyone hasn't seen the New South Wales Rugby League put up a video on Twitter of Freddie Fittler giving Lomax a call to tell him that he got had gotten the call up, and it's certainly uh if it doesn't pull at your heartstrings, probably nothing won't. I mean. You know, Freddie, Freddie and Lomax go back to 2018 when he, when Freddie was the under eight, New South Wales under 18s coach. So, you know, worked a lot with him and sort of knew the ability that was there. But I guess in the end, Tom, it's no surprise that Lomax gets the nod based on the season he had. Yeah, he definitely deserves it. We spoke about it last week, but it was a little bit surprising that he didn't get selected in the initial squad. So it's great to see him pick up that, you know, that role in the second round of offers, I guess. And in what was a, a tough year all round for the Dragons organisation and the Dragons team on the field. I think that it was a real shining light for them and he had a, a real breakout campaign. And you know, in that centre position now with Tom Trebojevic out, you know, someone's going to slot in there. And I think if it's Womax, he'll definitely do a great job. He's got you know, a nice little offload out the back. He can definitely run that side of the field in attack, you know, link up with perhaps Addo Carr or a guy like Nick Kotrick on the wing there, or Blake Ferguson if, if he's fit. So, I think New South Wales is going to have plenty of great options this year. And, you know, with guys like Kaelin Ponga going down for Queensland, you know, it's starting to look like New South Wales might just have a little bit too much firepower uh, for the Maroons come October. But, sorry, come November in this uh, extended season. But, you know, for Queensland, they've got uh, Wayne Bennett now running the ship with Kevin Walters being appointed for Brisbane. So that'll be interesting to see how they go. I think that if there was one coach New South Wales probably didn't want Queensland to appoint, that's probably Wayne Bennett. Yeah, obviously. Well, I mean, that, we're going we're gonna to touch on that a bit later. But yeah, Wayne Bennett is the is obviously the you know new coach of the of the Queensland side, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see sort of where they go. I mean, we know uh, there was an article that had Brimson, um, Fotuaka, and Philip Sammy were named. Well, what I don't it hasn't officially named any players yet, but certainly it's a testament to those three guys at the Titans to to being the squad, Tom. But I guess obviously we know that. That maybe the likelihood of Ponga not playing isn't great. We know that Michael Morgan is already going to miss out. He's ruled himself out of the of the Origin series. So, 
probably a lot of it comes down to someone like Cameron Munster, who, you know, hobbled off in that late on in that, that game against the Eels. But if he plays, obviously, a lot of, or he and Cherry Evans, a lot, a lot of the, I guess their go forward and attack is going to rest on those two guys. Yeah, absolutely. And I think while, you know, New South Wales have the big name players and the guys who are probably in the best form at the moment, you never want to write off a side that's got Cam Munster running the ship. And, you know, it'll be super exciting to see how Wayne Bennett puts that squad together. Perhaps a guy like Harry Grant comes in in the hooking role. So, you know, New South Wales will definitely enter as the favourites. But Queensland, you know, it's going to be one hell of an underdog story. And we know that they love to come in as as the uh, as the underdog. And that's, uh, you know, probably where Wayne Bennett would like them to be. Yeah, certainly, won't, you know, the forwards certainly won't be too difficult to choose, obviously, even though David Fafida is out and, you know, that's a massive loss. But, yeah, the amount of wingers that have pulled out for the <laughs> for the Maroons because of injury, Tom, obviously, it makes it that much harder to, to find wingers. Like, you know, we have Kyle Felt that's pulled out. Uh, you know, there's uncertainty as to whether Dane Gagai is going to plant. Obviously, he's still in the final series as well. But just with so much, so much uncertainty, it'd be interesting to see who Bennett goes for and, and how that, I guess, makeshift Queensland backline can respond to what is going to be an almost full-strength Blues backline. Yeah, 100%. And it's turned into a little bit of survival of the fittest at the moment. And I think that it all but proves that we probably need to move Origin back to the middle of the season next year because if we're not getting you know the high, best quality players on the field, we're not getting the highest quality product. Yeah, exactly right. I'm just just another thing for Andrew Abdo and Peter Vlandis to think about, but obviously that's for next season, so we won't get too far ahead. And I guess probably a bit a, a bit of news that I get. I mean, a surprise to me, obviously. You know, Jaden Nikarima is a name we probably haven't heard in NRL terms for quite a while. Obviously, was at the Sydney Roosters, played some first grade games a few years ago, had some off field indiscretions, and as a, as is often the case, you know, leads to the dismissal and everything. But he's got a a train and trial contract with the Warriors, Tom. Obviously, we've seen the turnover that the Warriors are going through, both with the players that they've gotten in and the players that they've let go. They're going to have a few spots available. So, I mean, it's a good chance for Nick Arima to show that he's a bit wiser now with, what, three, four years or so that has passed since he played and, I guess, a chance to impress them to get one of those those spots in the top 30 for 2021. Yeah, it's a good idea, the little uh, tra- trial and train contract and, It'll be interesting to see how it goes. Obviously, it feels like Jaden Nikarima is a name we haven't heard for a long while, as you said, but he's only 24, so still relatively young. It'd be pretty keen to see if he got a, a contract and you know managed to get himself a, a run. It'd be interesting to see how he plays alongside older brother Cody. You know, that could be an interesting combination to watch next year. You know, probably Harris Tavita and Nikarima have the have the spots at the moment, but you know, a little bit of healthy competition never goes wrong, especially in the halves. Exactly right. Obviously, you know, we saw how good uh Harris, Tavita and Nicarima were playing. So certainly, you know, a good chance for Nicarima and be interesting to see if he can work his way into it. And, you know, another young guy that's impressing is Tremaine Spry, obviously. You know, finished the season pretty well after some first-grade appearances here and there and has the new deal with the Titans, Tom. Obviously, you know, deserves and Justin Holbrook seems to have some faith in him and, you know, could possibly be the one of the starting wingers in 2021 for, for the Titans. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, what a great role to have with, you know, guys like Dave Fafita and Tino Fasul Malawi uh, playing inside of you. And, you know, it's probably now a three-horse race between a guy like Anthony Dawn, Corey Thompson and Tremaine Spry uh, for those two wing spots. We saw him play pretty well in the last few weeks of the season. 
thought he had a, a pretty good game against Manly in the, uh, I think it was the second last week of the season where he took that 99-meter intercept and just fell short uh, on the line. But uh, it's exciting times for the Titans, as we've mentioned on so many occasions this year, and uh, just another one to add into the books for the years to come, I reckon. Yeah, there's certainly some good things building up Gold Coast way after, or well, I guess, you know, finally for, for their fans, obviously, it's been quite a tough, what, six to eight years for them, but they're building nicely. And looking, obviously, we are at the business end of the season, we're in finals. We look back at the North Queensland Cowboys season time, obviously, they didn't have Michael Morgan for a large chunk of it. And obviously, he's their captain, their playmaker. They didn't have Tamalola for quite a few weeks at the end there. But I think despite their season, there, there, there were a few good signs. Obviously, you know, we saw the emergence of Francis Molo in that forward pack who really took on the took on the ownership that Tamalola no, normally brings to the side. And I guess Cowboys fans have to be pleased with, you know, the way that the likes of Tabuai Fido, uh, Scott Drinkwater, Jake Clifford played as well. And obviously, if Val Holmes can get back to the form that saw him, you know, scoring tries for fun for both Queen or for Queensland, Australia and for the Sharks before his NFL stint. There, there's there's plenty there to look forward to, Tom. I guess the question is, you know, can Todd Payton get the best out of these guys moving forward to become a premiership threat once more? Yeah, well we saw what he did to revitalize that Warriors side at the end of the year. So there's definitely plenty of hope there for Cowboys fans who you know, the Cowboys had a pretty fast start to the year and they were looking dangerous for a little while there before they fell off. Bit of a logjam there in the back line with Tabuai Fido and Holmes splitting time at the back this year. So I'd probably like to see Val go to the wing and uh, give Hamiso a, a shot at fullback. But whether Todd Payton will play his highest played back on the wing is yet to be seen. And then up front, Tamalolo obviously battled an injury uh, there for the last few weeks of the season, an ankle injury, but memory serves me correctly. And it'd be pretty important to, that he stays fit on the pitch next year. So Josh Maguire had his best season in years, but he's probably not getting any younger and you'll probably need some support from guys like Francis Molo, as you mentioned, to really get them that go forward and allow guys like Holmes and uh, the Hammer to uh, have the space they need to, to really dominate and uh, cause some damage. Yeah, and that's it. I mean, obviously, we know that the Cowboys certainly aren't, aren't uh, gun-shy when it comes to you know playing kids. We saw plenty of kids you know make their debuts this season or, or if not their debuts, certainly... Establishing, them, establishing themselves more on the side with, you know, Ruben Cotter, who saw some game time at the back end of the season. Dejar Nasty got his turn as well. Tom Gilbert started in the in the back row quite a few times as well. So, obviously, they got some nice pieces there. And Cohen Hess, I guess, you know, is, is also a possibility to return if he can get back to, I guess, his form of, you know, what, two or three years ago now. But there's plenty to look forward to for the Cowboys, Tom, even if, there is still some uncertainty about some of their key positions. Yeah, as a you know, a lot of, as you mentioned, a lot of young guys coming through as well. It's just about a, a matter now of retaining them. But there's a lot of experience there with Gavin Cooper within the squad. You know, that's one less guy in and around the team who was there for that 2015 Premiership win. And uh, it'd be interesting to see who really steps up in those leadership positions next year. Probably a guy like Michael Morgan will continue to see uh, more more of those roles. And even Val Holmes with you know, not only the experience he's built up in the NFL, uh, the NRL, but that time he spent in the in the US, no doubt he's got a you know a lot of experience in some different systems and a lot of professional outfits uh, as we see in the NFL these days. Yeah, it can, can certainly only bode well for the Cowboys to you know to know that Val, I guess you know we've seen it in the off season, teams will often go and 
you know, explore the way that the American sides do things, traditionally speaking, obviously, because they have, you know, more money at their disposal and whatnot. So obviously for Val to be exposed to, I guess, what is seen as a, a much more influential sort of, you know, organisation and, you know, back office in terms of the way that things are run, you know, you can probably pass on a few things. But I guess the only way is up for the Cowboys after you finish in 14th spot. And obviously, as you said, Tom, you know, Toddy Payton certainly proved his worth at the Warriors. And I guess it's pretty much a similar story for Manly as well, Tom. Obviously, they finished 13th. We know they got Des Hasler. He's a premiership winning coach. I guess probably we, we've, we've touched on it before, Tom. Probably what the Manly missed for most of the season was Tom Trebojevic. Obviously, it didn't take much to see in the, you know, after when he did come back initially, those first couple of games, what a difference he made to the side. And they certainly have to plan very differently for when he's not playing. Yeah, absolutely. It's the same old story for the Seagulls as it's been for probably the last five years that if Tommy Turbo stays fit and on the park, they probably make the eight. And he's just such an enigma for their attack. We saw glimpses of what they could do uh, this year when they beat the Roosters 8-6 at Wycart in round two. But then there's been some horrendous slip-ups later in the year that really cost them down the stretch. You know, games like the Tigers come back and the Souths when they just annihilated them in the first half. And I guess the question will be for Tom whether the injuries are starting to mount now and really take a toll on his game. We've seen with a guy like Matt Moylan just how repeated soft tissue injuries can really hamper you and yeah, strip a guy of his dynamic style that suits him so well. And, you know, if, uh, if we're looking at some other guys, Jake Trebojevic, he probably needs to go back to running the ball. He's, you know, essentially at the moment playing as a first receiver for them and uh, probably didn't have his best year there. He obviously will play a lot better with uh, Tom on, on the field. We know their combination and how uh, much they like to link up with each other. And another big loss is Adam Fanua Blake. Uh, with him gone, Trebojevic and Made to Power really need to shoulder a lot of the load because it can't just be left to young guys like Taniel Paseka and Jake Kajewski. And just one more point to note as well is that uh, fingers crossed for Manly that they might get Manasi Fainu back next year because he'd be a huge addition to that squad. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, much like these teams that sort of do finish in in the bottom eight, there's always questions being asked. And, yeah, I mean, Manasseh Fainu's court case is probably, I guess, probably one of the most important in a while. Obviously, we know what he did before for Manly, and that's obviously why Coruscant got pushed back to Penrith as well, just because off the bench, Fainu was just electrifying. And I guess when you got to play makeshift hookers, in, or not makeshift, but obviously, you know, I guess maybe guys that you're not planning to initially in Danny Levi, obviously Lachlan Croker saw a bit of time hooker as well. So it's probably a very interesting outcome ahead, regardless for Manly and will certainly shape how they need to look at their side and potentially look at improving that hooker position. But as you said, Tom, I think, uh, you know, the loss of Fanua Blake can't be understated. I mean, this is a, this is a guy who has probably been, Manly's best prop for the last couple of years now and he's probably really pushed himself into that elite sort of echelon of props as a result and, and look it's never easy for a young kid like Taniela Paseka to come in and you know take over that, that role but Manly fans probably have to be pleased that he certainly at least that last six to eight weeks he's he was probably better than most of us thought as well some you know some good hard hard barnstorming runs close to the line and scoring some tries. Yeah, 100%. He definitely showed a lot of promise and he'll have a lot of older heads around him and more experienced guys that can really guide him. Uh, we've got a guy like David Cherry Evans and it would be remiss of us not to mention Kieran Foran coming back to the club next year from the Bulldogs. No doubt they'll definitely be walking the injury tightrope with him and Tom Trebojevic in the same squad. So 
if they can keep the, both of them on the park, they'll be a really dangerous team to watch. We know what Foran can do close to the line. And, you know, it's a, a scary thought to have Kieran Foran running it up to the line and passing out the back to Tom Trebojevic because that, you know, it could be a really lethal combination moving forward. No, definitely will be. And look, I, I think from a manly, it'll be interesting to see as well how they or how they go and what they do with the loss of Joel Thompson. Obviously, he's going to St. Helens in England after what has been a pretty pretty long NRL career. And Curtis Sirenen certainly has one back row slot spot locked up. And, you know, he was probably probably their most consistent performer all season was Sirenen. But it gets a bit of uncertainty, Tom, with that other back row spot. Obviously, we know that Corey Waddell left as well. They do have Jack Koshevsky that can play back row. So I guess it'd be interesting to see whether Manly go into the market or whether they just stick with Gajewski, who's obviously, who I'm pretty sure is signed up for at least next season. Yeah, I, I think they'll probably keep with Gajewski, to be honest. I think that he showed enough in those last few weeks. I think he nabbed a double in one of the last games of the season. And, you know, I think that he's shown enough throughout the last few years off the bench that he could really step into a starting role with ease. And another position they'll be looking into filling is, is that centre wing role. Obviously, they've got Morgan Harper. Uh, coming across permanently next year after his uh, little swap from the Bulldogs. And then also it'd be interesting to see how the switch deal goes uh, with Jason Saab coming up from the Dragons and uh, Ruben Garrick going down to Wollongong. Yeah, exactly right. Certainly plenty to improve or improve on and you know develop for Manly and the Cowboys and four great games to look forward to this week. So as always, we'll come back next week and dissect all the action and may your teams win and bring on the football, Tom. Yeah, absolutely. Can't wait. See you later, guys. See ya.